Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name's Joe, and I am one of the leaders here. And I would like to mention that Chris said that the men's Bible study is an opportunity to for guys to come together and study the Bible, connect, maybe have a cup of coffee. And that's really intentional. It's so intentional that we've decided to study the book of Hebrews <laughs> in that group. Hmm? What? 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 Wow. Oh. Okay. Okay. Well then, go ahead and open your Bibles. Galatians chapter 1. Before we get in, I want to say one quick thing about Ryan, who was up here with Chris, um, that uh, one of the things I've uh, come to really like about him so far is that he's smart. Um, I I never want to be the smartest person in the room, because if I am, I know I'm surrounded by fools, (laughs) if if I'm the smartest person in the room. And so he said something the other day, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but we were having a conversation, he said something, I said, oh my gosh, Ryan, that is so smart. I'm so thankful you're smart. You have hopes that people will be smart. And God has blessed us. He's really smart, so we like him. Anyway, Galatians chapter 1, <laughs> verse 11. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to put the words up on the screen for you. Um, but if you don't have a Bible with you and you want to follow along in a paper Bible, if you look underneath the seat around you, you might find a hardback black Bible. You can turn in that Bible to page 972 for Galatians chapter 1 if you want to follow along that way. And if you don't have a Bible with you because you don't own a Bible, you can take that Bible that's underneath the seat. Take it with you. It's yours now. It's our gift to you. We want you to have that. But we've been studying the book of Galatians for the past couple weeks. And what we've learned so far is this, just by way of reminder and recap, is that the book of Galatians was written as a letter by a man named the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this letter to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. It was a Roman province in what is now modern-day Turkey. And he wrote this letter in response to having found out that after he had gone and presented the gospel to them, the the message about who Jesus is, the good news about who Jesus is, presented to them this message that, that God welcomes us into his family. He freely forgives us of all of our sins. He freely accepts us and loves us by this thing called grace. Which simply, it's not simple, but the simplest way for me to describe it is that that God extends to us so much more love and forgiveness and help than we could ever deserve. And Paul's message was that God brings us into his family by grace through his unending love and forgiveness and help. And the only thing we have to do is believe We simply believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, and that he now freely accepts us by faith. That is good news, which is what the word gospel means. Now, Paul had learned that at some point, some 
some leaders from the church in Jerusalem, which by the way, the, the, the origins of our faith are very Jewish. So all of the leaders of the early church were all Jewish. Paul himself was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The 12 apostles were Jewish. So they were used to having a relationship with God by way of their Jewish lifestyle, through their traditions and rituals and all of the things that made them good religious Jews. And so what many of them believed was that, yes, God accepts us into his family by grace through faith, but once we're in, now we have to keep all of these rules in order to stay in. And Paul says that that message, that once you're in, you have to earn your way to stay in, is false. It's not true. We can't do enough to get in. We can't do enough to stay in. He welcomes us in freely by his grace, and he keeps us in by his grace as well. And so Paul writes this letter as a response to that false teaching to right some wrongs there. And in my Bible, which is the ESV version, the ESV translation, English Standard Version, it's what we'll put up on the screen. It's the Bible underneath the seats as well. It's one we like to use. It has paragraph headings in the chapters. And in fact, just a fun little thing, that's the, actually what we use when we break up our messages as we're studying books. We use the paragraph headings to begin and end our messages. And the paragraph heading in Galatians 1, starting at verse 11, says, Paul called by God. Now, that's the description for this passage that we'll be studying today. I would never have picked that title as the title of this paragraph. I would never have chosen those words, Paul called by God. I would probably have chosen something like, the gospel comes from Jesus only, or, or the gospel is not man-made. I probably would have chosen something like that, and we'll talk about that just a little bit, but the, the editors of the ESV translation chose to put this heading in there. Now, this isn't part of the Bible, this paragraph heading. It's not in the original scriptures. It's just there by the translators to help us really understand what it is. But as I was studying this this week, I realized that this, in fact, this phrase, Paul, called by God, is indeed the point of this passage. Imagine that. The scholars were right and I wasn't. What? Now, it's a weird phrase to me, Paul, called by God. Now, if we were to read that in our 21st century thinking, if we were to read that with a, a modern Western mindset, without any idea of what that word called by God really means, because we use it in the church sometimes, it's a word that we like to refer to as Christianese, you know, those church words that we'll throw out sometimes, called by God. And it can mean a variety of things, and I'll, I'll, I'll make mention of that in just a moment. But it, can you imagine, uh, and this is how I like to study the Bible sometimes when I'm preparing to preach, is I, I want to imagine what would the person think who's never read the Bible before? What would a person think who's never been in church before? What would a person think who doesn't have any Christian friends? What would they think about the phrase, called by God? Well, does that mean God has my phone number? What if I don't have his? Well, I'm not answering. <laughs> I'm sending him straight to voicemail. Right? Well, what does it mean that to be called by God? Well, we use it in different ways. In the church, we often refer to it as a sense of, of purpose, knowing that God has 
called me to do this specific thing, and it's connected with purpose. We do use that phrase in our culture sometimes when we refer to the call of the seas, sailors might say, or, or those of you with wanderlust will talk about the call of the open road, or those of you outdoors people who I don't want in my life will refer to the call of the wild, that you might want to go camping, which is ridiculous to me that people would spend thousands of dollars to do that, but that is neither here nor there. But we know what that means, to to be called by something, for, for a thing to pull us out of where we are and draw us to itself, whether it's the seas, whether it's the road, whether it's the wild, whatever it is, calling us towards it. There's this same idea when we use the phrase called by God. What's different between being called by the seas or the road or the wild, what's different from that and being called by God is that the seas cannot engage me (laughs) when I go to them. The road cannot speak to me. The wild cannot interact with me, though it would oppress me if I were in it. It cannot actually interact with me. But to be called by God is to be called by a person, to be drawn in towards a person, God himself. So this passage is talking about Paul, who's been called by God, and I believe you and I as well. So let's go ahead and read chapter 1, verse 11. Paul says this, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Again, he's making the point that the, the, this false message that has been brought into the church, he, he's trying to refute it, and now he's helping us to see why they should believe what he's already taught them. Verse 12, for I didn't receive the gospel that I taught you from any man. I wasn't taught it by anyone, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus appeared to me and told me himself what the truth is regarding this. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul was once a leader in the Jewish faith. He says of himself that that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had checked all the boxes when it comes to following the traditions and the rituals and the rules. He was a perfect Jew. If anyone would think that there there must be a standard of following these rules in order to be a follower of Jesus, it should be Paul himself who was better at that than anyone else. Verse 14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Verse 15 is when he reveals that it all changed because he says, but when God, who set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, everything changed when God called him by his grace. Now the interesting thing about this is that he says, God set me apart before I was born before he had ever done anything, before he was ever Jewish, before he had ever followed the rules, before he had ever given himself to the traditions of his fathers, before he had ever been a very good religious person, God chose him, called him, drawed him to himself. He set me apart before I was born and he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles or people who are non-Jewish that were Gentile simply refers to people who are not Jewish. 
And when he did this, I did not immediately consult with anyone. And I didn't go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Why did he go to Arabia? We don't know. Bible doesn't tell us. He doesn't really give us any insight into that. I like to imagine that the time he spent in Arabia after he had been converted into faith in Jesus, I like to imagine that while he was there, Jesus appeared to him and spoke with him. Because he says, Jesus revealed to me this gospel. So I like to, in my mind, think that while he's in Arabia, praying, asking God to teach him more, that Jesus shows up at his door and walks in and sits down at the table and begins to share with him what the true gospel is. Verse 18, after three years, so he spends three years there, he goes up to Jerusalem to visit Kephas. This word, Kephas, this name is simply the Hebrew name for Peter, the apostle Peter. And I remained with him for 15 days. So I just stayed with Peter for two weeks. I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. We ran into each other at Starbucks. It was really brief. And in what I'm writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said this, he who used to persecute us, This is important to understand about Paul because his zeal that he previously had as a very devout and religious Jew led him to persecute Christians who he believed were blasphemers. In fact, the day he was converted, he was on his way to the city of Damascus with letters of authority from the chief priests to find Christians in the city of Damascus, have them arrested, brought back to Jerusalem, put on trial, and probably executed for their blasphemy. And while he's on his way to Damascus, Jesus appears to him. A light shines out of heaven. I like to imagine he fell off of his horse, stumbled around. The Bible tells us that the light was so bright that he was blinded for three days. But in that moment when Jesus appeared to him, he said to him, why are you resisting me, Paul? And Paul's like, who are you? (laughs) Who's talking to me? Who just knocked me off my horse? And Jesus says, it's me. It's Jesus, and I've got a lot to tell you, and I've got a lot that I've called you for and that I want to use you for. After this moment, he spends the time in Arabia. He comes back, and he meets with Peter, bumps into James. Word gets out that this guy, verse 23, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Now, a few things really jump out at me here in this passage, and one of them is this, that the gospel itself, and it's what I said I would probably have titled this passage if I were the scholar. Thank God I'm not. But if I were, I probably would have titled this passage, the gospel comes from Jesus only. It comes from Jesus himself. It's not man-made. The, the fact that, that God would offer us freely salvation, that God would, would say, I welcome you into my family through no effort on your own, the, the good news of that, that doesn't come from a human imagination. And here's how I know it. None of us would make that up. None of us would make it up so that we'd have nothing to boast about. 
So we'd have nothing to be proud of. So we'd have nothing to stand on. The gospel strips us of all of our own power to place ourselves before God and say, I'm worthy. Because here's the reality. Deep down, we all question whether or not we're really worthy, which is why we heap on all of these efforts. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus says, I don't want any of that stuff. I just want you. That's why Jesus came. That's why he gave his life. That's why he he shed his blood so that we might be brought freely in simply through faith. We wouldn't make that up. I like to say of the gospel, it's too good to be true, but it's so good, no one would have made it up. None of us would have picked that. We would have picked the thing that made us look good. You know what is man-made and made up is religion. The rules that exist within religious structures that say you, you have to uh, dress a certain way or, or, or talk a certain way or check all of these boxes and then God will love you. A kind of attitude does not exist here at this church and I would argue that it did not exist in Paul's mind in the churches that he started. It does not exist in God's mind as to what a, a true Christian is. All that we have to offer him is our faith, and that's all he wants. There's nothing else, simply our faith. He takes us as we are, and it's a beautiful thing, and he keeps us as we are, and he loves us as we are, and it's simply by faith. Man-made religion will tell you otherwise. Well, you should have read your Bible more this week. You know, if you would have prayed harder, maybe that thing would have turned out the way that you wanted to. You know, perhaps... Things went so poorly in that situation because you didn't have enough faith. I'll just say what I really believe about that. That's a lie from Satan, actually. That's man-made religion. The truth of the gospel is that simply we come to him as we are and he accepts us in love and complete forgiveness We just believe. That's all we have to do on our part. We just believe that he is who he said he is. And it's a wonderful thing. So the gospel comes from Jesus alone, and the gospel does what no person can do. It changes our identity. The Apostle Paul was a man who was attempting to murder Christians one moment, and then the next moment his life is changed so much so that he becomes the most prolific evangelist or the most prolific spreader of this gospel, this good news that the world has ever seen. Only the gospel message itself can do that. Only the gospel can so change a person's identity that they are no longer who they once were. Uh, New Testament scholar Scott McKnight refers to this process of conversion as biographical reconstruction. And I love that biographical reconstruction. What is he saying? He's saying this, the gospel rewrites our story. The gospel makes my story different. I I don't have to be defined by the things that I used to do. I don't have to be defined by the things I might do tomorrow. What I get to be, what I am defined by is who Jesus is by my faith in him because the gospel has reconstructed my biography. Now, if we were in our Tuesday morning Bible study, and we were studying this passage, here's the moment where I would stop and I would 
turn to the guys in the room and I would say, I know that God has changed the story for some of you. Why don't you go ahead and share that? This isn't what I'm going to do right now, so nobody is on the hook to come up here and share their story. But think about that for a moment. If you were in a circumstance where someone gave you the, gave you the opportunity to share how God has changed your story, are you prepared to do that? And, and here's why I ask, because the important thing of it is because when, when you hear what God has done in the life of another person, it gives you so much encouragement and faith that, wow, God can do that for me, or God can do that for this person I love who's going through the same thing that they're going through. Now, I've had the privilege of hearing some of your stories. I've had the privilege of, of watching some of you change, actually. And here, here's what I can say. And what I've learned in all of that in our varied stories is, is that everyone's story looks different. Not just because our lives look different, but the way that we change looks different. I know some of you that when God converted you, reconstructed your biography, it was an immediate about face. You stopped doing a whole bunch of things that had ruled your life for a long time, and you started following Jesus with all of your heart. Others of us, it's been a years-long process whereby God is changing us. And if you're like me, you realize over and over, wow, that thing I thought God had changed in me and was done with, still got a long way to go. Some of us, our, our, our biographical reconstruction, our, the rewriting of our story looks like years and years of work. Some of us looks like an instantaneous thing. And that is beautiful to me that God would interact with each of us so differently according to who we are. Here's the other thing that stands out to me in that, in that uh, not only are all of our stories different, but none of us could change on our own. None of us could make those changes by ourselves. We can do things to try and change our lives. We can add good habits. We could go on a diet, which some of us need to. We can start exercising, which some of us need to, but I won't. <laughs> we could read more books. We could spend time with, with people, more people who are, are good for us. We can stop drinking coffee. I'm not going to do that, but there are all kinds of things that we could do to try and make our lives better. And those are good things. And, and, and in fact, I think we should pursue them as opportunity presents. But there's nothing in the universe that can change the motivations of a human heart except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can turn a person who was on his way to murder Christians into a person who devoted the rest of his life to making other people into Christians like the gospel of Jesus Christ. This, to me, is part of the proof that it's real, that it changes us. We can all look within to our own various stories, those of us who Jesus has changed. And, and, and that for us oftentimes is the evidence that he's been active in our lives, is the fact that he's changed us, whether in an instant or whether over time. And if you're struggling with your faith, go find that person that that is confident in the way God has changed them. Ask them to remind you of their story and you'll be encouraged in that too. But here's the thing with our change. While it can be instantaneous or it might take years as we begin to uh, look more like Jesus over time, all of us should continue changing. Or, or maybe I should say it this way. All of us should continue growing. We never stop growing. That's why we look around the room and we see some of the people here in our family with gray hair. It's because you don't graduate out of 
learning more about Jesus. You continue to follow him. You, you never stop learning and you never stop leaning on Jesus. All of our lives, we continue to grow and learn and get to know more about him. Now, the gospel itself works. The gospel has a power to change. In fact, in Romans chapter one, it says that the, the gospel itself is the power that God uses to bring people into salvation. This message that God freely offers us forgiveness and love by grace through faith in Jesus who died and rose from the dead. This good news message itself, it works because it reveals Jesus to us. Paul said in verse 16 that God was pleased to reveal his son to me. It's so powerful because it teaches us who Jesus really is. That he's a God of love and mercy and compassion and grace. That he's a God of power who can change your life and rewrite your story. That he's a God of, of so immense care and tenderness and purpose in our lives that who we were yesterday or even today doesn't have to be who we are tomorrow because of the work that Jesus can do in us. The gospel reveals this to us that that's who Jesus is. Pastor Josh reminded me this week, though, that this word that's translated in the ESV as to, he was pleased to reveal his son to me, can also be translated in. He was pleased to reveal his son in me. Do you see the difference in how that works? One is he's showing me who he is. He's revealing his son to me. The other one is, he's revealing his son in me. Now he's showing you who he is through my life, through the change that's taken place in me. This is why the gospel has power, because it reveals Jesus to us and in us, so that whether it's in or to, it means the same thing, because we see Jesus in all of it. It's how he works. It's the power of the gospel. It's, its purpose is to help us see who Jesus is, whether him revealing himself to me or him revealing himself to me through you. To me or in me. To you or in you. So I want to go back to that thing I mentioned in the beginning about Paul being called by God and ask the question, what does it mean to be called by God? It just feels so funny to me to think about my phone ringing and I don't recognize the number and it's some weird area code and I just send it straight to voicemail, right? And I don't even listen to the voicemail. I go in and block it so they can't call me again, you know, because like my car warranties expired or whatever. Or like I got a recall on my airbag, which is a real thing that they keep calling me about, but don't tell my wife. It just cracks me up to think that God would call me on the phone, right? It's not what it, it's referring to. But in a very real sense, and the way the person calls you and you answer the phone, and you hear a familiar voice, and you feel the comfort of a friend on the other end, or or someone is calling you and they introduce themselves to you and you realize that well, this isn't a, a telemarketer. There might be something to this. In a similar way, when, when God calls us, it is a person speaking to us. Now, we refer to that phrase, God called me, 
oftentimes it's used for people who are in a ministry of some sort. Like God called me to be a pastor. You might have heard someone say, God, God called me to preach the gospel. God called me to teach the gospel. I've heard some of you who are in healthcare and education that, that it's a calling to you to be in that, that maybe you feel called by God to do that very thing. And, and I think those things can be true. And, and quite frankly, I think sometimes we make them much more mystical than they actually have to be. Um, this is just an aside, but if you're wondering what God's called you to do in life, what do you want to do? Just go do that and love Jesus. <laughs> go do what you want to do and love Jesus, and, and you'll find where God wants you to be in that. But what does it mean to be called by God? It means that God has called all of us he has invited all of us to believe in Jesus. We've all been given this great invitation to accept the truth of this gospel message through our faith. And in that same call to believe in Jesus, there's the call to be sent by Jesus to reveal him to other people. This call from God is twofold. It's to us, calling us towards himself, and it's in us. He's calling out to other people through us. Now, when someone calls us on the phone, to go back to this silly analogy, when someone calls us on the phone, you have to answer it. You have to pick it up and swipe right and say hello. When God calls us, we have to answer it. There's some of us um, in the room, maybe that you've been sitting uh, in a room like this, maybe you've been sitting in Renaissance for months, possibly years, and you've heard a call from God to believe in him multiple times, and you've never really answered. And you, you keep coming back because, you know, I don't, I, I don't really believe much of what that guy says when he talks, but the music's kind of cool, so I'll keep coming back. Uh, and, and over and over and over again in all of it, through the music and through the words that are said and through the interactions you have with other people, you hear this faint call and you wonder, is that God calling me? Nope, I don't recognize that number. Send it to voicemail, block it, and he keeps calling back. And I wonder if you're that one or two who's here today, if maybe today's the day you just answer. Maybe you just say, all right, here I am. I don't know what this looks like, Lord, to, to follow you, but I'm here for it. Maybe today is the day you answer. Maybe the call feels, maybe you're already in the family, right? Maybe you're already in God's family. You believe in Jesus, but you felt this push to, to begin to reveal his son, Jesus, to other people in a new way. And you're like, I don't know if that's God or not. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't know what that's supposed to look like. And all this while, God is on the phone calling, and we just refuse to answer. Send him to voicemail, block him, and he's got one of those devices that just makes it a different number so that he calls you the next time. It's not blocked, right? Maybe today's the day you answer that as well. I don't know. I don't know what is in the heart of every person in this room. I do know this. God knows. And uh, you're not here for a mistake. And um, you're, you're here for a, a reason. And I believe that reason is God is calling to all of us. And he just wants us to answer. It could seem really simple. It 
to some of us. It can seem like the most difficult thing you've ever done in your life, but all we simply have to say is, Jesus, here I am. I'm yours. It'll change your life. And I say that with, with full confidence, knowing that it, that's what's occurred to me and so many other people here in this room and who are watching online, that once we say yes to Jesus, he changes our lives completely. I'm going to finish up here, and I, I uh, had this, I wasn't going to mention this um, unless I really had time to, and I've got time to, so um, I've still got 30 minutes, so <laughs> I've got the time to do it, but I was feeding my daughter last night, and the bottle's in her mouth, and She's eating, and I like on the weekends that I preach, my mind is pretty occupied with the message and what I'm going to talk about, and um, really hoping that I can communicate something to the people who are in the room and who are watching online that will help you draw closer to God. And so, like my mind is on that, but I'm feeding my daughter, and I have this connection between the two moments of preaching today, and then remembering a verse in the Bible where a pastor, I think it's maybe the Apostle Paul is saying to a group, a church that he's written to, is like, for a long time, I've been feeding you with milk because you weren't ready to eat meat yet. Um, I'm, I'm ready for you to eat some meat. <laughs> now, I, I, I couldn't help but disconnect this, this moment today from, from that while I, where I was feeding my daughter milk. Who cannot, she's not old, she cannot eat anything but milk. I want her to eat. I can't wait to make her some gravy. All right? Somebody gave me a plank of brisket yesterday. I can't wait to put that fat in her mouth and let her just know how good God really is. Okay? I can't wait for that moment to happen. But she can't take it right now. And I'm not mad about that at all. Because she's not grown up yet. But some of us maybe have been drinking milk for a really long time. And we come on Sunday and we, we expect the person up here to hold the bottle for us. And that's enough to get us through the week. By the time Friday, Saturday comes, we're fussy and we're ready to be hungry again. And ah, I just need to be in church and everything's going to be fine. And that is totally okay. And guess what? We're not mad about that. That's why we do what we do. This is, to, to use some of the language I used earlier, this is what God has called us to do. And it is a joy to hold the bottle. But some of us are ready to eat meat. Some of us are ready to try some brisket. And what I mean by that is some of us uh, should be at the point now where it's not just that I come to church and I get the greatest and deepest spiritual truth of all of my week. It's that on Tuesday morning while I was alone reading my Bible before I started my day, God spoke to me. Like that's the meat we're talking about. Having those moments like that where, where we, do, we don't just come and, and expect that, that God is, we're only going to get fed, to use that language we like to use, um, through what happens here. It's that we actually participate in it. We actually start to eat a little bit on our own. At some point, my daughter's going to go to the fridge and make gravy herself, right? She's going to eat that. At some point, we learn to do that. The connection between this and the gospel itself is that 
the grace that God gives to us to pull us into the family, he accepts us completely as helpless as a baby, just like we are. And in many ways, that's how we stay the rest of our lives in, in so many ways, completely dependent on him for everything. But he also, through his grace, gives us the power to change and grow up so that when the time comes for me to reveal his son to other people, I'm ready to do so because I'm strengthened through the meat I've been eating, through the solid food I've been eating on my own. I, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Josh, all of us on staff here, all the leaders of the church, we love knowing there are people in our church who need us to hold the bottle. Again, 100%, that is why we're here. But we're also tasked with the charge of saying, how's the time to feed yourself a little bit? on Monday morning, on Thursday afternoon. What, when, whenever that looks like, we grow up as God changes us. The gospel doesn't leave us where we are. The gospel transforms us to look more like Jesus over time. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm so thankful that you transform us, that you change us. You make us more like yourself not through any effort that we put in, but we just say, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. Take me. Bring me in. Or we don't know what we would do without that. We don't know what we would do without your, your grace and your mercy and the immense freedom and love that exists in you. Lord, I pray for those in the room that you are calling out to who have been resisting you who have refused to answer. Lord, I pray that one or two of them would just answer you today and see their life changed. And then in 10 years, they'll look back on this moment and say, that was the day you, you began to change my life, Jesus. I pray for those of us who, who need to start feeding ourselves spiritually, so to speak, that we would, that we would do that, that we would uh, begin to progress and grow up a little in our faith and we will learn more about you, not just on Sunday, but in the middle of the week through our own study, through the own time we spend with you, Lord. I thank you that you love us enough to want us in your family, to want us to know you. And God, it blows me away that you would want to use us to reveal your son Jesus to other people. This is what you do. And we just thank you for that. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.